This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. All right, guys, welcome back to AHP. Thank you for joining me. I do appreciate it. And uh, I want to give a big shout-out to all my Patreon supporters. I really thank you guys. You know, you guys are really, really important to me. Uh, You know, you guys make sure the show keeps going around with your financial support, and I do absolutely appreciate that. Uh, For anyone listening to the show, of course, if you want to support me on Patreon, you like the content that we do, you know, please, please help me out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash AHP. Uh, and you can get uh, a few different extras, and you'll also get all the shows in advance of everybody else. I'm also getting Patreon members to ask questions as well uh, to my guests, to give ideas on future guests, uh, so there are some extras there for you, but it definitely helps out financially. Even if it's just $1 a month, guys, everything helps. So again, I want to thank my Patreon supporters. On today's show, I have the enigmatic Sydney Watson. Now, you might be asking yourself, who is Sydney Watson? Well, Sydney popped up probably about two to three months ago on Facebook, and she started making just quick videos in front of her computer about political issues. And those videos pretty much have gone viral, not only in the shooting community, uh, but also the uh, left-hard community on Facebook, and she's certainly been ruffling a few feathers. She talks about a lot of different issues. The main ones, obviously, I'm interested in in regards to this show are around self-defense and also why we shouldn't compare ourselves uh, to the United States on gun laws. She has quite an American accent. I have spoken to her uh, before the show. Uh, for, for a few times and you'll be interesting to find out story why she sort of has that American accent it's not actually what I thought so uh, definitely some interesting content coming up we're going to bring her on the show in just a few minutes and uh, looking on her Facebook page she's gone up to almost 30,000 likes on Facebook and I said a lot of these videos are getting one anywhere from one to 600,000 views currently and she's only been you know in this space for about three months which is fantastic and it's always good to have a young female you know that's uh, savvy on politics and also a savvy supporter, I guess, of people that have firearms. And working with statistics, she also presents a lot of statistics on her Facebook videos, and that ultimately is awesome. So we're going to get her on the show. All right, Sydney Watson, welcome to the show. AHP, thank you for joining me. I do appreciate your time today. Thanks. Oh, thanks for having me. No worries. Now, we had some chats on the phone uh, before doing the show. Uh, tell us about yourself. Who is Sydney Watson? What does she like to do? <laughs> well, um, I suppose that the biggest thing is people always ask me where I'm from. Um, I am an Australian citizen. I was born here, but I do have an American citizenship as well. Um, I grew up in Melbourne with a really awesome family, and I'm currently doing my master's at Melbourne University currently. So that is basically the summary of me. It's interesting because when we spoke on the phone, we obviously corresponded before the show, and I thought there was a bit of an American accent there. I'm thinking, oh, maybe she grew up in America. So I started, which we both laughed at, I started drafting up all these questions about, you know, you were obviously born in America. How did you end up here? Uh, it turns out I was totally wrong on all accounts. So tell us about the American accent, how that came about, or part American accent, I should say. Well, I think it's the result of growing up around American accents. I mean, um, my mom has a really, really strong American accent. And I think that basically, at least this is how I sort of assess the situation, is when you have one parent teaching you how to speak, and that was predominantly, I guess, her role, um, I must have picked up the way that she pronounces words and the way that she puts together um, her sentences and things. And that, you know, the net effect is that now I have this bizarre hybrid accent. Um so it, it's pretty amusing for most people because they can't exactly pin it and people think that I'm from 
you know, they'll, they'll think I'm Irish or they'll, they'll think I'm from um, Scandinavia, something bizarre like that. And so it's just it's just the weirdest mashup of accents, but I'm definitely Australian. I just happen to sound a bit weird. Tell us, I mean, obviously, when did you decide, obviously, you know, if people don't know who you are, you obviously started making some uh, uh, Facebook videos about all different political topics. I mean, how did that actually come about? When did you wake up one day and said, you know what, I sort of want to start putting myself out there to make, you know, videos for either Facebook and or YouTube. And, and what was your plan with that? What did you expect to happen? And are you surprised by the, the reaction or...? I guess so basically what happened was I came back from America at the start of this year and I decided why not. And I guess the reality is that I'd been watching a number of American conservative commentators over quite a long period of time and I just thought, why is it that we don't have the same sort of people in Australia? I guess we do, but just not to a huge extent and not to the same extent as the American commentators. Um, Yeah, it, it was something I really, really wanted to do for quite a long time just because You know, a lot of my friends were like, oh, things that you say make a lot of sense. You should basically, you know, make videos. So, like I said, I came back from America and I thought, well, why not? So that's that's kind of how that happened. But it's been a it's been a roller coaster. Uh, People sort of underestimate how aggressive the space can get a lot of the time. But, um, no, it's been it's been really good. I'm really glad I started doing it. All right. So left wing. I mean, do we even have a really left wing and what right wing here in Australia? I mean, obviously being female. Is, do you reckon even the Liberal Party, do you reckon they're even really right wing here in Australia or not really? I don't think we have a strong right wing presence in this country. And it's not necessarily that that is a good or bad thing. I mean, obviously, for me as a conservative, I wish we had a stronger presence. But I think that the Liberal Party, if you want to bring them up as, as an example, to me, they're labor light. They don't, they're not really representative of what I would want in a government. Um, and same with Labour, obviously, they're not they're not at all what I would want in a government. And then now we're obviously having this sort of spring up of all these little, littler parties, such as the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats and things. But no, I wouldn't say that there's a very strong uh, right-wing presence. But among among people, definitely, just not, not in the government sense. Yeah, interesting, because was that a conservative upbringing from your, from your parents? Because I know my parents, I mean, obviously, I live in Western Sydney, quite very, or not quite very very labor dominated here in western sydney i don't think really labor today reflect their values that they did say you know 15 20 years ago when sort of i was growing up so i guess that was a bit of a, a push from my parents that it was all about labor even now they, they moved to queensland huh, they're still crazy on labor and you know <laughs> we often have lots of debates about it and you know and certain different things but i guess that evolution of myself changed almost i was right wing i just think i believe in uh, common sense and a lot of things seem like common sense to me how did you grow up was that a conservative upbringing from your parents or something that you you came to on your own? Yeah, so I get this question a lot. Um, I would say that, again, because I grew up around um, a very strong American influence and because my mom does come from quite a conservative background, you know, she grew up in a very, very Catholic family, um, I think that she imparted a lot of those values on me and so therefore... It's not necessarily that I grew up sort of with this entrenched sense of, yes, I'm right wing and these are my ideas. It was that my parents kind of directed that. But if I, you know, say that I didn't want to be and my ideas took me somewhere else, they would be fine with that. So it's not, I wasn't pigeonholed and forced into the box. I think I'm actually more right wing than my parents are these days, which is quite funny. But no, I think it, I think it was a byproduct of my experiences plus my upbringing. Mm, what do the family say? Do they obviously know you're making these videos? What do they think about it? My mom's really supportive. She's very cute. Uh, she will check all the comments that people send me, and she's uh, very <laughs> yeah. into it. <laughs> um, she actually she said to me last night, you know, Sydney, your father is 
he's considerably more interested in what you're doing than uh, than me. He stalks you way more than I do. So, no, the whole family is really supportive. They're really great. Um, and they're basically the reason that I started doing this as well. You know, I sort of put my hand up and I said, look, guys, this is kind of where I want to go um, with my career because, um, like I said, I've been studying journalism and I figured that I wanted to be in a media space in a, you know, an important kind of way. And um, my folks were like, you know, you, this is this is awesome. Like, follow follow what you want to do because Australia kind of needs, you know, some right wingers that are actually willing to put their necks on the line. It's interesting. What's it like, obviously, when you you, you know from Melbourne or, or surrounds, and you go to university, and I guess you start talking to people. Do you try and hide it, or do you try and you have discussions with people, and you realise what's it like being in, I guess. Victoria, Melbourne in particular, being a pretty pretty left-wing cesspool of people, especially probably in the universities. So what's it like for you when you're dealing with the universities? Honestly, at uni, it's just about keeping your head down. And I hate to admit that because I'm definitely one of these people who thinks that it's really important to stand your ground and to put forward your ideas. Don't be abusive about it, but certainly feel comfortable in knowing that your ideas are just as justified and valuable as, you know, say someone else's. But, you know, so at uni, I've spent uh, a large portion of my time just not, I just don't speak in classes anymore. I just don't see the point. Um, so the uni space is really, I mean, I'm super critical of it. It's, uh, it's very unpleasant if you're a moderate or you're a right winger. It's just there's no room for it. What's the, I'm just looking at uh, the videos. Now, you probably started, looks like I've just gone into videos. I mean, this is just crazy. And to be honest, I've got to admit, I'm pretty jealous, right? March 1st, you made a video, Why You Can't Compare Australia to Gun Laws in the uh, USA. That's just over half a million views, 539K. And then you followed that up again with How Defending Yourself in Australia Can Land You in Jail. That was another good one. I quite enjoyed that one, 491K. Like it's barely even it's barely even May and you've amassed almost thirty thousand likes on Facebook, which I reckon by the end of the year will be over a hundred. Are you surprised? Are you shocked? Are you just like I'm? I'm just excited about where this is going, or what's your general feeling? Oh my god, of course I'm shocked. When I put out the first video, I swear to you, I, I texted um one of my really good friends and I said this is a bad idea, and he was like, no, he's like put the video out. <laughs> So I did. And then I was just, I was so overwhelmed by the response because I know that it was such a topical issue as well. And, you know, it's, people, people care a lot about gun control, whether that's vehemently against it or vehemently for it. But I think the interesting thing was that first video got so much vitriol. And I was so taken aback by that because I had never experienced anything to that degree at any point in my life. So that was a massive learning curve for me. Uh, and then since then, putting out videos now, uh, people, I laugh because people just think, oh, it's like water off a duck's back. But I get a little bit nervous. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know how this is going to be received by uh, by the, you know, broader population when I put this out, particularly when I'm covering topics that are, you know, kind of inflammatory. So, uh, no, I was definitely, definitely really surprised. But it's also been a really, really cool experience because, it's awesome to see so many people reaching out and saying, you know, hey, you're totally representative of what I think. And it's it's so good to see you in this space. And I feel like, you know, you're representing what a lot of us think and feel. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really rewarding. It's interesting because I know you do say that too. And I find that interesting when... Uh, it is an emotive topic, but I always find out, like they had, a, I think it was like an anti-gun thing here in Sydney, which was meant to uh, be in part with the US issue that was going on, you know, kids walking out of schools. And I find when people say, I'm not, I'm not saying I disagree with you, but people say, oh, it's a very emotive topic, and it is. But I find when it actually comes to, to action, people don't really care. There's that maybe you know, 5%, 3%, maybe 2% even that really 
that really will actually get up and do something about it. They'll go out, they'll attend rallies, they'll, you know, they'll get on the news, they'll ring up radio stations, they'll do those types of things. But a lot of the complaining, because it's easy, is done on Facebook. I mean, it's always easy to complain on Facebook because you can sit behind the computer or your phone while you're watching Netflix or something and people can say, oh, you know, she's an idiot or that guy's an idiot for making this video on being pro-gun. And it's just easy. But when it actually takes real action... I don't think the general public really care. They only really care on Facebook. You know, That's what I see a lot of. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's easier to sit back and be a keyboard warrior than actually get out and do things uh, in, the, you know, in society in a real useful sense. Um, and that's, I guess that's part of the issue and part of the thing that really bothers me, and I do think about this a lot. I mean, I would never go to someone's video and say, you're a horrible idiot, I hope you die, which is basically the response <laughs> that I got. <laughs> The response that I got from so many people, you know, and, and I did, it was interesting because I have experienced a lot of people saying genuinely misogynistic things and, you know, being pretty much uh, anti-feminist, I, uh, I've never really noticed it or sort of, it's never been like, um, it's never been an issue for me before. I just have never seen men uh, be that way towards women. But yeah, talking about guns for some reason to an Australian population or to like, you know, part of the Australian community they're just so aggressive towards it. And I just think to myself, you would never speak to somebody like this in everyday life. So why on earth do you think it's acceptable to speak to me like this over the internet? Because I'm still a person. At the end of the day, while I'm making videos, while I'm cleaning them out, while I know what the result is going to be if it goes negatively, I'm, and I'm okay with that, it's not acceptable for people to, to speak to one another like this. And it's just, it's hugely problematic. I mean, it's never going to change. It's just really, really off-putting. I know, and I tell people too, listen, you know, because some people handle this type of criticism differently. I used to know a, a girl, she was a friend of mine, she made um, health-related videos on YouTube about diet and stuff like that, and, and one day all the videos were gone, and, and she was quite a, quite a nice-looking girl, and I, and I talked, I said, what, what happened to the videos? I said, I can't find, I was actually looking for one for a recipe that you made, and she said to me, no, nah, no, nah, I completely got out of it, and I go, oh, why? She says, I just cannot handle any sort of criticism, and I I said to her, you're making stuff about, you know, recipes and, and diet. Can there really be that much, you know, opposition to the videos that you make? And she said, yeah, absolutely. I cannot handle yep. criticism. It, it just kills me on the inside. And I, I, just, I just can't handle it. I, I deleted everything and I'm no longer going back on. I just thought, wow. And people can't handle it. We're seeing a lot of, and you probably see a lot of this stuff too, the social media personalities. What was that lady? Can't remember last year. I think she was from Melbourne a couple of years back and, you know, big on social media, but I mean, ended up committing suicide due to, due to issues with continually posting on it, but not being able to get off it but mm. subsequently it ended up in her death i can't remember what her name was she was um one of the media personalities but uh not that model yeah model she yeah exa- yeah it was her yeah 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 she yeah, um charlotte dawson, charlotte dawson that's it yep and i always say to people not be careful but just be careful of some people because it can affect you in different ways and people don't realize when you get a video that gets like this you know almost six hundred thousand views that you're gonna get a few cra- <laughs> crazies on those uh yeah on those posts yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. And I I think that's the thing is that, um, like I said, with that first, the first one about um, gun control, the response to that, I like, admittedly, I was so taken aback because I just thought, I don't understand how there are so many people commenting on this that are so hate filled for no reason, no reason other than they disagree with what I've said. And I suppose now I'm at this point where it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't bother me. I just think, you know what, this is the nature of people. This is the nature of the internet. I don't think it's necessarily right. I don't think it's necessarily correct, but it is the way that things go. And if I got upset every single time someone decided that they don't agree with me, I probably would never make another video again. But then that's really not 
the most useful response to the situation is it. So no, no, <laughs> uh, no. for me, it's just about getting on, dealing with it. It is what it is. Yeah, that's why I always tell people, just make sure you control it because, you know, sometimes it can get people down and you don't realise people are making videos and they're so popular, but on the on the inside, they're... You know, they, they really let it affect them. So I'm saying, it, like, I just tell everyone, listen, man, if it starts getting to you, and it did with me probably for the first couple of years of doing this show, you know, having, having sometimes having shooters say my product was a piece of crap and, you know, it, it affects you sometimes. And you, but now, you know, it's water off a duck's back. But some people go the opposite. They just, the longer the, longer the abuse goes, the, the worse off they get. So it's always like make sure you look after yourself. But I want to hear some of the funniest things. Come on, you've got to share something crazy that's happened. Since making the videos, perhaps a response, maybe even, no doubt there's a few crazies in there that have sent you maybe an inbox or something weird. Give me the good goss. What, what's something crazy someone said to you? Uh, so the first, see, as you're saying that, I'm like, mm, what's weird that's happened to me? Um, death, getting death threats is um, something that definitely is quite disconcerting, particularly at the front end, because you're like, what on earth? Like, I I only said something that, you know, I I believe in and that I think. And then you end up with people being like, wow. I'm going to find you and cut your head off. Um, but probably the funniest Shit. thing to happen uh, was I just started the page, I just started posting, and I got this inbox to my personal account. And this guy, had, he, he called me a crypto-Nazi. And I'm thinking, I have no idea what that even is. Why are you calling me this? And then he went on to call me all the other things, like a fascist and that, you know, I hate gay people and I hate blacks. And mind you, I've never, ever spoken about blacks or gay people ever in a video. So I was like, I don't really understand where this is coming from. But I get a lot of that. I get, you know, called a Nazi a lot, which is, you know, pretty common for... What's this Nazi? Where do they think they're going to get everything? Apparently, we're Nazis these days if we just... You know, I, I just see this stuff as common sense, like what's happening. You made a video about it, what's happening in South Africa. We're only interested in, you know, and helping out other minorities, but now people are having yeah. their land and, and the government, you know, in South Africa is taking away these people, Lamb. It's, it's funny when the shoe was on the other foot, it was, it was bad. Now, mm. now it's okay, apparently. Now it's okay for the, the new pre- or the president of South Africa to say, we're going to take your land and people are getting killed. I mean, Lauren Southern, you probably know her. She just made a video or a, a documentary about farmlands, about what's happening to the people of South Africa. And the government doesn't seem interested. All they're interested in seem to be doing is giving money to Indonesia and other countries. What about supporting our farmers and our people first? That would, that'd be nice. Yeah, it would be. I mean, and I guess the thing is that this whole Nazi fascism thing is born out of uh, the uh, American movement, the Antifa movement um, in the United States. And it's it's so bizarre to me because Lauren Southern actually does this a lot when she comes into contact with these sort of socialist groups. She rightly calls them the fascists because they are the ones actually that are running with, you know, I guess, fascist Nazi doctrine. So it is so bizarre that this name and this label has been sort of attached to the right wing because we're the antithesis of, you know, Nazis. And it's even more interesting still when you say to people, what does Nazi stand for? They have no idea. The Nazi party is a socialist party from Germany, the German Workers' Party. It is just, it's so bizarre. And I just don't understand why this is the label that we constantly have attributed to us. Every time someone calls me that, I'm like, what is wrong with you? I just, it is baffling to me. Just looking at another one here, I follow Gavin McInnes a little bit on uh, Facebook and YouTube. He had you on his show. How did that come about? Now, I guess for people probably that don't know Gavin McInnes, I guess, what would you say? Sydney's probably a, just a bit of a media personality. I guess I think he's a podcaster as well. I think he does videos as well for YouTube. He you know, presents himself on media outlets as well. How did that come about anyway? 
Well, I think some of the Proud Boys um, had. So the Proud Boys uh, is a group that he created so that young men could basically have a space where they could, you know, sort of come together, share ideas, etc. Um, and it's basically just about men being men, for lack of a better description, where, you know, they sort of, they respect women and where they, they value women that, you know, want to be in traditional roles and just basically what men should be doing, you know, being decent people. Um, so he made a group for this. And I think that um, a handful of them harassed him uh, and said, you know, Denise, she's okay. You should, you know, maybe have her on your show. And it sort of evolved from there. But Gavin, um, Gavin started Vice. I'm not sure if you're aware of oh, that. Oh, did he start Vice, did he? Yeah, he did. Wow, yeah. okay, he right. Did. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny to see how it's sort of devolved into the crap that it's uh, putting out these days. But no, he is the uh, he's one of the people who started Vice. Before you head for the bush, head for Australia's biggest sports shooting and outdoor event, the SSAA Shot Expo at Rosehill Racecourse, Sydney. With hunting gear from the world's biggest brands, the latest optics and outdoor equipment from Europe and the USA, and four-wheel drive accessories from Australia, the SSAA Shot Expo just keeps getting bigger. Rosehill Racecourse, Sydney, June 23rd and 24th. Book online or pay on the day. Visit shotexpo.com.au for sponsors and the full program. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. That's right. I'm surprised, actually, because some of the videos they make, I mean, it's, it's a gamut of everything that Vice makes. But that's good seeing that, you know, that someone, I guess, Gavin, most likely is from the right, would be he using his platform or the platform that he made to put up all different types of content, whether you liked it or not, whether it was left, whether it was right, whether it was from the center. That's good, but yet mm. we're seeing people like, and I've got friends of mine that make uh, uh, YouTube videos about, about firearms from both here and overseas, and we're seeing you know, Facebook, we're seeing YouTube start to cut people down, where yeah, they're demonetizing people on YouTube. A couple of weeks ago, they changed their uh, policies for firearms, and a lot of particular channels actually got cut off, Like I mean, and they had to get in contact with Facebook. What the hell? I've got 700,000 subscribers about an air gun channel. An air gun is shooting an air rifle, and they had their channels shut down i mean this is a sort of but where do we go where do we go from there facebook is from the left silicon valley we've got youtube they pretty much own like 90 percent of the market you know they own all the social media instagram etc it's hard to say because i think that at the moment you're seeing the spring up of a bunch of different new age i guess next generation social media platforms and i think that eventually there will be a bit of a sort of a fight out between um, there is platforms to replace Facebook and to replace YouTube because with the way that they're running, it's not sustainable because the amount of people that are being shut down who are being censored, you know, so on and so forth, it's just not viable in the long run because people eventually will start to turn away. They'll say, I'm sick of getting put in Facebook jail. I'm sick of my videos being deleted. I'm sick of my content being deleted. And they'll go elsewhere because ultimately it's what the market wants. That is what determines what stays around. Another video you may just look in here too. The Anzac Day was a good one too. I think we spoke about this before the show too, just a couple of days ago about, you know, there's, there's a couple of people out there just like totally, and this is unrelated to shooting, but I guess it is, you know, our, our great Anzacs had guns, you know, fought with guns to defend this country, did a fantastic job. I used to be in the army myself and I respect these people. I respect the people that, you know, worked hard to defend, defend our lives and did the best they could. Then we've got people like Catherine Devaney saying, you know, this is disgusting. It's just the Anzac days for bogans. 
um, totally disrespecting our Anzacs. I mean, it's just one of those things where even if I was trying to be funny, which I don't think she was because Tom Ballard, I think, on the ABC made one funny video about it too. And it's, it's just one of those things. Sure, I agree with free speech and you can do whatever you, you can do whatever you like. You can say whatever you like, and even if it's about Anzac Day, but I've also got the right to say you're a complete dickhead for doing that sort of content about our Anzacs. And people get upset. They go, well, why are you getting so upset? I'm like, these people fought for our country. Show them a bit of courtesy. Sure, you can make fun of it if you like. I don't respect it, but I, I agree with your right free speech to be able to do that. But you also need to be aware that people are going to come after you and be very upset that you're disrespecting our fantastic Anzacs. Well, yeah, I mean, generally, if you think about it, these people that are making, that are criticizing the Anzacs or criticizing Anzac Day and so on and so forth, I guess that they're the kind of people that have associated it with war or something stupid rather than the fact that men and women laid their lives down or, you know, went out into these really hostile, horrible, horrific environments and said, you know what, I love my country, I want to fight for my country, um, and, you know, subsequently died for it. That's what we're, that's what we're uh, putting our emphasis on. We're putting emphasis on lives. We're commemorating the lives. And to make it into something ugly and to make it into something unrelated, like these people that come out and say, oh, you know, why are we looking at Anzac Day? We should be talking about refugees, have absolutely no concept of anything difficult. That's basically how I feel about it. If you are silly enough to say, you know what, on Anzac Day, this this is the day, this is the time for me to talk about refugees, you have no concept of what it's like to actually give up something up something up and maybe die for it. They just have no concept. I know. I just didn't, I think that Catherine Devin, I don't think she, maybe she wasn't expecting that. I just, I'm not sure what she thought was going to happen, but I'm like, where do you think this is going to go? It's just one of those areas where you just don't touch, you know, you just, you just leave it alone. Make some, there's plenty of other topics, as you know, to make, to make fun of other than our Anzacs. Just, just, just doesn't need to, just doesn't need to happen. It's just a media ploy, I think. I mean, I think that she's probably, you know, she probably assessed it and was like, you know what, if I uh, if I put out a really disgusting post on Anzac Day, and mind you, that wasn't the only post she made. She made, yep, yep. like, numerous posts about it, really disgusting posts too. And it's honestly just to get in the paper so that she can attract more, you know, invalids to uh, to her horrible comedy shows, I think. Yeah. So I, th- um, I think I watched one, I was like, this is, I mean, I was trying to just, like, forget the Anzac part, just see how it was, and it was... I mean, it was literally just an abortion. It was terrible. It was the worst comedy stand-up I've ever heard. And I love comedy. That's my favorite movies. I, when I get a chance, I love going to stand-up. I love comedy. I think it makes the soul go around. And it was just terrible. It was horrific. Yeah, I've never seen, I've never seen anything that she's done, so I can't really comment. But <laughs> I'm not... Take my not word for it. Horrific. <laughs> I'm going to have to. Yeah, I definitely will. I mean, I'm not surprised considering that, you know, what she wrote and what she's done online. I'm a bit like, uh, it wouldn't surprise me, let's say, if she was completely horrible at the one thing she's supposed to be good at. Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Getting back to just the videos quickly as well, I want to talk about, I mean, your first video was on why you can't compare Australian gun laws to US gun laws. So your first video is on this topic. How on earth did you decide this particular issue on firearms was going to be your first video? I think that uh, this was, it was shortly after the um, shooting in Florida. 
And because I have a lot of uh, American friends and a lot of, you know, family that's from the United States, I just was seeing so much about it. And you'd see all these white knights jump in and be like, we have to be like Australia. And I just was thinking to myself, yeah, except that Australia is not exactly the country to emulate when it comes to this kind of stuff. So basically, it kind of came out of that. I was, you know, observing all these people talking about Australia, looking at Australia like it's the go-to for gun control. And I just wanted to correct some, um, some misconceptions that people have about about how things go on in this country and the legislation and also, I guess, the gun violence that was happening in the lead-up to the law changes. Because there is a lot of misinformation and there are a lot of things that people think that aren't actually correct. Um, so I wanted to clear up a bit of that. And I, I hear a lot of the Greens, especially here in New South Wales as well, they had their, they had their little gun rally with Gun Control Australia about oh, two, three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, and like three people turned up. And it's interesting because when you're there, they actually had to get the police with guns to make sure nothing actually happened at an anti-gun rally. I just, the irony of that just blows my mind. Yeah, well, it's, it's the same irony, I guess, that uh, you see a lot of these politicians and things that say, oh, guns are so bad and guns are horrible and guns are responsible for, you know, thousands of deaths annually. And then they're the same people that say, actually, just kidding, I need the police and my escort along with me when I go places. <laughs> okay, that makes a lot of sense. I know. <laughs> we see that. And that's, that's why I think of the Americans and Australians now starting to wake up to that fact because, like Bill Short and Malcolm Turnbull, they often say that, oh, this, these guns are bad. Tony Abbott did it to a, to a, a fair degree as well, but yet they they were the first people that when walking down the street, they got three or four armed guards around them to making sure that, well, you know, we don't like guns, but yeah, we're happy to have them. I mean, why not put your guns down too? Don't have, have your security, just don't have them armed. But I mean, that's not even on their agenda because heaven forbid that actually have to defend themselves with their fists or something. They, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the thing though, right? They're, they're so hypocritical and they so have no concept of what the average citizen might be putting up with because they live in a bubble. They live in a bubble. Politicians, live in this cotton wool world where they think that things are different to how they are. And I think that's the problem when you have people that have been uh, in parliament or have been, you know, actually, I guess we'll say serving the state for lack of a better term for, you know, years and years and years and years. And that's part of the problem is they lose touch with the average citizen and they lose touch with the average the needs of the average citizen. I totally agree. When you were growing up, I guess, did you have any exposure to firearms? You know, family members, friends, anyone that was in, sort of into, you know, uh, target shooting, hunting, whatever it may be? Yeah, so uh, when I was really little, uh, we lived uh, next door to a couple and they used to go um, hunting a lot. Um, uh, in my family as well, you know, we've uh, you know been around guns for quite a long time. And, uh, yeah, I guess that now a lot of my friends um, are shooters, and so I get to, you know, sort of spend time with them. And, yeah, so I guess that guns have been part of my life for, you know, since I was little. <laughs> um, but it's not something, I guess, that you really see that much in Australia. But, no, certainly it's, I've, you know, grown up around them. Yeah, I know you made a video about this, and people can probably go back and watch that nine-minute video. I don't want to get you to explain it in its entirety, but do you reckon there's some major differences between Australian culture and guns and, and the American culture? Can we can we put those two together or no? Yeah, no, there's definitely... I mean, for me, they're really not comparable because uh, the American culture, and this is a point I always make to people, is Americans are born with this, this entrenched sense of freedom, and they're born with this sense of, you know, guns are a right. I mean, it's the Second Amendment. It's like, you know, it's the Second Amendment, and that's so important to them. And they grow up understanding that that is part of their culture, whereas Australia doesn't have that. We don't have that attachment to self-defense. We don't have this attachment to guns because we don't have anything that really 
puts it into context for us or, you know, we, we don't grow up with it. So that's a, that's one core difference that I don't think people seem to understand is the way that guns are actually conceptualized between Australia and America are totally different. And the attitudes towards guns between Australia and America are totally different. So when you go to compare them and you say, oh, look, it's exactly the same thing, it's not. And that's why you have so many gun owners in America and so many guns in circulation compared to Australia. Do you think it's because they fought a war for independence and, and we didn't? Do you think that's got anything to do with it or no? Yeah, that is something that I, I popped in that video that I made because um, the point, I think a big point that people miss is that when Australia was settled, there was regulations on guns from the outset. There was always regulations on guns. Um, I believe that the, uh, not the convicts, sorry, that the settlers were given guns, um, but you could only use them in particular instances. And I'm pretty sure that the main one was for hunting. Whereas in America, because they actually fought a war for their independence and, you know, against Britain and what have you, um, guns were sort of... I guess they've been put on a pedestal for the Yanks, um, and they've been told, you know, if you want to protect yourself, use firearm to do so. Yeah. So I think that's that's the core difference. I think also too, like I mean, even though I, I'm not American, like I look to that Constitution, and often I see people that are Australian just 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 don't get it. They just they just don't have the mental capacity to be able to get it that this was made for a specific reason to give people rights, even if it's not the Second Amendment first, all of them, right? Was that was specifically there for a reason. I think it kind of was a masterstroke by the I guess the forefathers that thought, you know, listen, we need to stop the government. We need to give people inalienable rights and that's what we're going to do. When they try and do these things, whether it's on guns or free speech or other particular issues, but let's talk about guns, when they try and change things, this is precisely why it was put in to stop people doing things like they're trying to do now to stop taking away people's rights. Because we see it in Australia, they say, just one more thing, you don't need that. You don't need that 10 capacity magazine. Let's limit it to five. Uh, You don't need this type of firearm because... It might be a bolt action, but it looks like a semi-automatic firearm. So we'll just ban that. Oh, you couldn't possibly be against these small issues. They say it's only small, but then guess what? Next week it's something else. Then it's something else after that. And then it's something else. Then eventually you have nothing. And this is what they've seen happen, not only here in Australia, but other countries that are quite strict on firearms. Yeah, and it's true. And that's the thing is, where is the line? And there's that that, um, line. The first sign of a tyrannical government is disarming its citizens. And, And basically, like you just said, the American Constitution exists to protect people and to protect the population from the government. Because the government is not your friend. There is this assessment and assumption in society, particularly in Australia, that the government is there to save you. The government is not here to save you. The government is not your friend. And um, we, you know, at what point do we decide that our values and our freedoms are more important than, than what the government wants to do? I mean, in America, a good, good example is that they have, I think, around uh, 20,000 gun laws, or maybe more than that. <laughs> I believe it's about 20,000 um, in that sort of ballpark. How many more do they need? Honestly, what more do you need that's going to stop, you know, quote unquote, stop gun violence? What more could you do other than 20,000 regulations and laws on gun control? What more is there? That's my question. Yeah. And a lot of people say that too. I talk about it. They say, oh, but it's the, it's the semi-automatic weapons. We get rid of those. You know, there'll be no mass, more mass shootings in the United States. But then let's look at other countries, for, you know, to correlate to other countries like New Zealand. You just go across the pond. I can... I can buy an AR-15, I can, I can buy all these firearms, pretty much the same firearms as the United States. There's no firearms registration because they said abolish that, complete waste of money. That, that money would be better used for roads, education, you know, medical care for our citizens, which was a masterstroke again by them. Canada, same deal. Sweden, Switzerland. What's, 
There's no issue there. So why is it? That's the question I always ask. But why is it happening in the states? Is it a, is it a mental health issue? Is there is there an issue with you know disparity between rich and poor? How, how do we sort of bridge that gap? Or, you know, what's the major issue that's that's making people in the states you know want to kill other people? I mean, it's a travesty as well. I mean, and, and just to go on just a little bit about that, there was a guy he was on. I'm not sure if you saw it about two weeks ago, week and a half ago. Evan, his name was. He was on one of the Sunrise Morning programs. He was one of the guys actually that um, uh, was in the Columbine High shooting. And I messaged him yesterday, I think, after speaking to you. And I said, mate, listen, I saw you on this uh, media. It was fantastic. And it didn't go the way they wanted it because they thought a, a, a Columbine uh, a survivor of the Columbine shooting would be totally for gun control. Well, now it was the total opposite and it didn't go the way they wanted. And then it pretty much ended abruptly. And we're talking about a fellow that was literally in the room that had a gun pointed at his head by those two guys, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. And somehow they didn't shoot him. He, he said something nice to them and they didn't shoot him. And I'm going to have him on the show next week. It's going to be awesome. But how do we change it? How do we stop it from happening? So I think something that people always sort of gloss over when it comes to gun violence in the United States or gun deaths is that between 70 to 80 percent of those deaths are actually suicide. Now, in Australia, when we took away guns and they were less less easy to get a hold of, what we saw was the climb of suicide by hanging. So naturally, I think the, the assumption is that it doesn't really matter what a person is using to kill themselves. If they want to, they're going to find a way. So it's a bit of a grim sort of assumption, but it, it sort of seems to be the reality. The other thing is that there is a lot, a lot of uh, um, gang violence in the United States, and a lot of the states with the toughest gun laws have actually the highest crime rates. So it's pretty interesting to see the correlation between those kind of things, and people always gloss over it. The other thing that I think is you know, kind of important to note, and I've spoken about this before in other videos, is how when you actually look at you know obesity rates, you know death rates, you see that you're like you're 50 times more likely to die of obesity in America than being shot. You're 300 times more likely to die of um, a an issue uh, in the medical system, so you know medical malpractice, than you are to die by a firearm. So these are the things that people never look at comparatively, and I think that's part of the problem. So. I personally don't think that America has an overwhelming gun problem like a lot of people seem to do. Um, I just think that there are these core issues that they need to get around suicide, gang violence, etc. It's interesting because I did some some uh, fact-checking just the other week. I was looking at all the FBI data now. If they actually work it out, this is what they say, get rid of the semi-automatic weapons. And they're talking more about AR-15s and long arms. Now, of all crime committed, so of all those figures, now only 14% of those crimes were committed with a long arm. So that'd be a rifle, shotgun, obviously, et cetera, et cetera. Now of that 14%, so of that total of 14%, which is almost minuscule as it is, only 3% were committed with AR-15. So on a grand scheme of things, it's about 0.3% of those crimes are committed with these types of rifles. And I hear, I think Tucker Carlson says it quite quite a fair bit because I, I quite enjoy him. He's quite a lively character. And and why aren't they going after handguns? Why, why like in Chicago, uh, Washington, D.C., handgun crime just totally out of control? I mean, if they're going to be philosophically correct, why not go after the handguns too? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's because people associate these long arms and these big, scary-looking guns with mass shootings. And the thing is that mass shootings aren't even that common. And the, and the other thing, and I'm, I'm sure you've talked about this before on this show, is that a mass shooting is when you shoot four or more people. 
I mean, for me, that doesn't, it doesn't even mean that those people need to die. And so that's so interesting because basically when people talk about gun control, all they're focusing on is long arms. And like you said, you know, they're actually responsible yearly for about 300 deaths, which is really, I mean, it depends what kind of person you are and how you evaluate these things. But to me, that's reasonably negligible when you consider that Amer- the American population is, you know, 327,000 or something like that. So it's it's just utterly ridiculous. And, and handguns, too. I mean, like you said, they're so responsible for so many gang deaths. That is something that a lot of people overlook. And I think it's just that there's this general lack of understanding when it comes to the gun issue. That's what it comes down to. And, and I think when you try to actually give these facts and stats to people, they're so underwhelmingly not interested in listening to them. They just have no interest in actually changing their perspective because they want to parrot the narrative. The Australian Hunting Podcast is the only hunting, shooting and fishing podcast radio show in Australia. With over 40,000 downloads per month, you are sure to find some information that can help you. If you love hunting, shooting, fishing and a little bit of politics, the Australian Hunting Podcast has you covered. To listen, check us out on iTunes and visit australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. And it's good you mentioned suicide too, because again, I've heard the anti-gunners here in Australia say, oh, we've had a reduction in suicide by a firearm, but yet we've had an increase in other areas. So they don't really care how people are dying, so long as they're not dying by fire or suicide by firearm. I mean, how is that a win? I mean, it's really an oxymoron to me. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I think that in, it must have been, don't quote me on this. (laughs) I think it was in 2012, um, the hanging rate was, you know, we saw an increase by about 50%. And that's that's huge. People don't realize that is massive. So yeah, you have a decline over here with, you know, gun deaths um, when it comes to suicide, but then people are using other methods. So it's just, it's just such a bizarre concept to tell people that guns, you know, I guess banning guns or, or regulating guns stops violence because it, you know, it's, it's just such an odd thing to say. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to not use other objects, knives or ropes or whatever it is to, you know, commit crimes or to hang themselves or whatever the case may be. Sydney, often our anti-gunners say, and I've heard this again, uh, and, and a few lies from our Coalition Against Gun Control. It's basically a, a organisation, probably about three people, yet every time something happens, they tend to call Samantha Lee, who's the head of Gun Control Australia, and they say, we haven't had a mass shooting. And I've heard, I've heard Samantha Lee say that on one occasion, and then on another occasion, and I've still got the audio, and I'm going to put that on my, on my Facebook page today, saying we haven't had a mass shooting yet. She was on a couple of years ago on Radio National. The, the hunt murders down in Lockhart in New South Wales uh, were actually a mass shooting. Yet after the fact she said that, she then goes on to tell people, oh, no, but we haven't had a mass shooting. So this is the thing. We get a lot of these misconceptions that, oh, there's been no mass shootings. Every media outlet is pushing it, but it's just not true at all. And this is something that really, really bothers me, is this is one of the talking points of the anti-gun crowd. Oh, Australia hasn't had any mass shootings since it changed the legislation. Wrong. So wrong. I counted up. I went and did some research um, based on something a friend had sent me that tried, I guess, to evaluate how many mass shootings there had been. And the information wasn't 100% correct, so I went and checked it all. And I found that there had been seven mass shootings since um, 2002. So, I mean, that's not a huge number, but it's basically in line with what was happening prior to 1996. People forget before 1996, and there was about a 10-year span there where there was a colossal spike in gun violence. 
did that mean, or well, I guess mass shootings, let's say, did that mean that the Australian population was getting more violent? No, it was just an abnormal statistical thing that happened. It wasn't actually representative of guns or the population or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting to me because the other thing as well is that they constantly, these officials constantly change the definition in Australia of what a mass shooting is. There are some places that say that it is six or more people shot. There are some places that say there are three more people shot. And it's bizarre because it means that we can never actually pin down what is what constitutes a mass shooting in this country and how we, we should evaluate it. So I went with the actual definition, the, you know, four or more shot. Um, and I found that there had been seven. Um, so, it, I mean, that's across, you know, Melbourne and Sydney predominantly, but it's uh, it's still something that we should be taking note of. And the amount of people that think that it doesn't happen, it's it's disgusting to me how much misinformation there is out there. Yeah, if you know Mark Latham, I've had him on the show before. He was running against John Howard as part of the Labor Party, probably furthest thing from Labor now. But when I spoke to him, we were talking about mass shootings, and he said he basically said he goes, "Oh yeah, but they're you know they're not happening in those public places. They're not happening in those public arenas like shopping centres, schools." What a weak argument he had, in my opinion. That it doesn't matter as long as it's not happening in a school or it's not happening somewhere in a public place. Then basically, who really cares? And it's not really that important. Yeah, that's uh, that is a really really good point. Um, I've never ever heard that argument used, but that is that is quite uh, upsetting because what we we don't have, we don't think that the lives of you know people being shot in a family situation they're not as important because they're not in a school environment. Really, that's that's absurd. That is totally absurd. Did he justify it in any way? He just said that no, it wasn't. No, I'll, I'll send you the link <laughs> to that one. I want you to see that. I think two of our uh, pro gun uh, party people on there. I think it was. David Lionel from the Liberal Democrats and uh, Robert Borzak from Shooters and Fishers here in, in New South Wales Parliament. And yeah, basically, it was only a small point, but yeah, he said, but they're not happening in these areas. I said, well, but does it really matter? Like, who really cares where it's happening? It's happening. I mean, obviously, everybody, including shooters, would love to reduce gun violence. But again, there are a million shooters in Australia, and none of them have done anything wrong today. You know, that's the whole thing. If they wanted to, they would simply just go out, grab their guns and do that. But good people don't do that. That, that That's the whole mm. point of it. And I think even shooters want to see a reduction in gun crime. We all do. Who doesn't? But just stripping away people's rights is not, the, I, don't think the, I don't think, the way to do that. And looking at, I've got some more figures in front of me. Every country, especially ones that still have these types of firearms available for the average shooter, has had a dropping homicide rate. Over the Western world, we've seen all, all the countries have a reducing homicide rate, including the United States, has a dropping homicide rate for the better part of a hundred years. And that that's the fact, yeah. you know? It's just yeah, how, can, no, how can people right. how can people say, well, guns is you know, gun crime is getting more out of control? No, the, the, every country, including Australia, before nineteen ninety six was dropping. After nineteen ninety six it dropped. There was a bit of an increase just on and after nineteen ninety six. Every country had a downward trend. New Zealand, Sweden, Switzerland, Canada, Germany, Czech Republic, all of them had a dropping homicide rate. So are we getting smarter as people? Possibly. Are we, are we less angry these days? Possibly. You know, there could be a lot of external factors in regards to that. But Yeah, no, I think that uh, when it comes to the – well, the statistics after 1996 are a bit muddled because you do see that there was a bit of a spike. I mean, and gun violence in America has been dropping for decades. So it's, it's just kind of bizarre to me that people keep saying that, you know, oh, people are getting more and more violent. I mean, I think now that there are other areas, particularly in Australia, that are experiencing – um, quite a large spike in 
the violence and things that are going on, particularly with sexual assaults, with carjackings, with home invasions, so on and so forth. Um, and these are the areas that are experiencing an upward trend when it comes to violence and when it comes to these sort of yucky, horrible crime things that happen. Um, whereas, you know, with the homicide rates, it, it also depends on how the cops want to record it. Um, that has a lot to do with it. it. You know, it depends on whether they record it as this or that. Um, and then that also determines how then we interpret those statistics and that information. And I think that's really problematic is that you are waiting on the police to actually, you know, put things forward as how they've actually happened, whereas that is not necessarily the case. That is what disturbs me about statistics in this country. So you made a video on self-defense, which I thought was a very good one, very close to my heart, that one. Uh, what do you think about self-defense, I guess, for people in general? I mean, what about, let's say, inside the home first off, using you know whatever methods they decide to, bat, pepper spray, tasers, batons, firearms? What's your thoughts on that one? Well, in the home, I, I think it's ridiculous that a person could break into your home, you defend yourself, and then you end up being arrested because you hurt the intruder. That is so odd and ridiculous to me. I, I have absolutely no words for why our legislation is like that. It is the stupidest thing I think I've ever come across in my life. Um, It bothers me that we don't have a castle doctrine or a castle type doctrine. It really bothers me that we don't have stand stand your ground laws. It's just ridiculous. I just think, who are you protecting in this situation? Are you protecting the intruder who is a criminal, just FYI, or are you, you know, trying to protect the homeowner? It's obviously not the homeowner. I had this conversation with um, some men not, not long ago, some tradies that I met, and they were telling me that, oh, in the event of someone breaking into your home, just drag them into your master bedroom and then beat the crap out of them because apparently if you do that, then you are, you know, you won't actually be taken to court over it. And I, that's just such an odd, tell me that, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but that is just so strange, is it not, to think that, oh, the only place that you can take someone is into the master bedroom because then you won't be charged. But if they're in any other part of your house, then you will be charged. It's just absurd. That is so absurd. We just had a guy just recently. I just made a did a script about it for a self defense video I'm making, and you know he had a guy hopped up on drugs, come to his house with a knife. He pulls out his uh, his name was David Dunstan. He pulled out his unloaded 22 bolt action rifle. Obviously presented himself to to the intruder. The intruder pretty much shit his pants, and he sort of even went to drive. Had the guy in the car to drive the guy to the local police station, saying this was the issue. He's picked up in between, and he had his firearms seized. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? And throughout that process, I'm guessing his wife had would have had access um, to the same gun safe as her husband because this is on a rural property. They were farmers. She had special conditions and restrictions on her license. I don't know what they are yet, but uh, that, that she was obviously, I'm guessing that would he, was, he wasn't able to actually open the safe or go into the safe. So even she had special restrictions placed on her license. What did she do? Nothing. What did he do? Nothing. And mm. one of the uh, uh, Nationals uh, leaders here in New South Wales, John Barillaro, because there was a massive uproar from the general public about this the nationals were were basically worried about their votes that they actually he drove down from sydney he was supposed to fly but there was an issue with flights drove down to spoke to the guy obviously there was some discussions which i don't know what they were subsequently probably about a month or so later he actually got his firearms back but i mean he was only interested in votes we've got to get that clear this is what we're dealing with i mean how can a guy lose his things for three months when he just didn't even do anything wrong like how does this even happen well it's because i mean you've got to consider the fact that Firearms in this country are not for self-defense. There's not a reason to have a gun, apparently, in this country. So the fact that he was, you can't just point a gun at someone. You're always going to, you know, there are always be repercussions when you do something like that. So how how we've gotten to this point is just beyond me because 
we basically said to the population that you can't defend yourself. I mean, legally you can, theoretically, but you actually can't in practice because you're not allowed to have any sort of weapon. You're not, even if it's, you know, something that's actually non-lethal, you can't have that. You can't have a firearm. So really, what do you have? You have your fists, and even in that instance, you have to be cognitive, or you have to be cognizant, sorry, of, um, you know, how much force you're using. And who has the time for that when you're in a fight-or-flight situation? So if this man in question hadn't actually pointed an unloaded firearm at someone, and he'd used his fist, would he have ended up in a different situation? Probably not. Yeah, I know. Do, do you know that a bulletproof vest, you know, because John Howard wore one when he was uh, talking to shooters when they were protesting after 1996. I mean, even wearing a bulletproof vest in Australia is classified as a prohibited weapon. I mean, what am I going to do? Throw it at the person? Is that what I'm, I'm going to take it <laughs> off and throw it at them? Like, that, that is a prohibited weapon. I mean, this is what Australia... It just makes no sense. You know, it makes no sense at all to me. Handcuffs too are uh, prohibited weapons. It's just, oh, well. it's just bizarre. It's so bizarre, and I just think to myself, you know, what kind of message are we sending to the population? It really, what it does is it lulls them into a false sense of security, where they think that oh, nothing will ever happen to me because you know if it does, I'll just call the police. And as uh, as my mum always says, crime happens in seconds; police arrive in minutes. So exactly. You're really going to put all your emphasis on the police and on the army if anything ever happens really you don't want you don't want to put yourself in a position where you yourself actually have control over the situation and over what is going on it's yeah. that's that's just very foreign to me and this is an area where i think i'm i have very you know the american sort of sense in the way that i think about it because i feel like protecting myself is an intrinsic unalienable right i want to defend myself i'm going to say i don't want to go out and start you know, crime. I don't want to go out and do bad things. But in the event that somebody comes at me or has a weapon or whatever the case may be, I want to be able to stand there, hold my ground and do something about it. I know. It's interesting that people actually would go against self-defense. And I hear from friends, oh, but uh, who are you involved in? What? Why would you ever need that? And I say, well, why would I ever need car insurance? Why do I need house insurance? Or they go, well, you know, in case it burns down. I go, exactly. Does, burning, does your house burning down happen every single day? No. Does it ever happen probably in a lifetime? Probably not. You know, but you need insurance for those things in case something happens. It's, it's just normal. Women, women, what about women walking home from, you know, train stations at night? You know, can't even have pepper spray. There's cases in WA where you can buy pepper spray legally over there. Uh, there's a 2002 Supreme Court decision that says you're able to use it for self-defense, yet it wasn't put into legislation. God, why aren't the governments in WA respecting the Supreme Court and putting in those recommendations that that should have been happening? I mean, they're getting fined $500 for carrying pepper spray, yet it's legal. makes no sense. Someone made the argument to me about pepper spray that if pepper spray was legalized and people would carry it, then you would have criminals carrying it. And they said, well, isn't that kind of, you know, basically the situation that you would have with any weapon, except that the only difference when it's illegal is that no regular citizen is carrying it, but the criminals still are. So, oh, where? Oh, look, you've, you've given the, the people the right to actually carry something that could help them, if need be, when the criminal already has the weapon. It's this bizarre assumption that criminals don't carry weapons when they do. Exactly. So legalizing them for the, for the overall population is, is not going to change anything. The criminals are still going to have weapons because they already have them. 
It's just crazy, isn't it? You know what I mean? And we're seeing people get murdered. How many cases are we seeing each week where I'm seeing like an elderly couple, someone broke in? I mean, you're from Melbourne. Look at what's happening down there, these Apex gang. I mean, they're so brazen. They're breaking into people's houses, threatening them with baseball bats and knives and other particular weapons. And and guess what's happening then? They're actually saying, hey, listen, give me your keys. I'm going to take your motor vehicle. Nothing you can do about it. Sometimes they've driven out of the driveway. It hasn't worked or something's happened. And they've gone back in the house to get the guy to help them. Crazy. It's true. Yeah. And you have and this is happening more and more and more and more. And Melbourne is just Victoria is just not a place that you necessarily want to be at the moment just because there is no control over the crime. And um I mean I don't want to get into this, but the judicial system particularly and the way the judges handle all of these situations, as you know, as an outsider and as someone who, you know, is observing I don't think that they're dealing with it properly, and it's just really sad. And uh, for a lot of us down here, like I, this is, I had a situation recently where I was staying, I was at a friend's place, and it was probably about midnight, and I was walking to my car where I parked, you know, quite far, not far, but you know, I was you know a couple blocks um, from his place, and I was walking back to my car, and uh, I was like, I really don't feel safe. And this is the first time in a very long time that I have not felt safe in Melbourne. And uh, I ended up kind of jogging (laughs) to my car because I just thought, I don't want anything to happen to me. Because if it does happen to me, I'm probably going to be the one that loses out. Of, of the victims. And that's what they don't, don't realise too. I mean, that's a big one. You know, 2012, Jill Ma raped and murdered. She was a young woman with, you know, whole life ahead of her to be able to do things. And, you know, either she was this was engaged at the time or she was married or close to thereabouts. She had this roided up junkie that was already in jail for raping prostitutes and, and, and holding them against their will in his vehicle. Six, eight counts of rape to, for different women, assaulting women. Jim junkie, roided up. H- how is any young female supposed to combat that? It's just not possible we can talk about equality all we like but it's just not possible that a young small woman that worked i think she worked for the abc walking home gets confronted by this guy what honest chance does she have i mean zero that that's what it is zero and subsequently the zero chances she was buried in a ditch somewhere by this dirt bag and then the sentence wound down from 43 years to 40 on appeal for a further kick to the face of the of the family i mean who, who can justify this stuff I just don't understand how you would drop the sentence of somebody who has actively been involved in raping and hurting people for, you know, like a decade. It's yeah. a, it's just, I don't understand. It's I don't 20 years since our... 1999 was his first one, I think, 1999. That's an like 18-year yeah, history. Or so by that time, it was 2012. 13-year history of raping and violence towards women. Surely that's enough to say you will never get out. Surely, yeah, exactly. And you can kind of see that this person is probably not going to be rehabilitated. And this is the problem with, with the parole boards and with the way that our system works is that I don't think that they're evaluating well enough who gets treated like what and for how long because there's such an emphasis on rehabilitation. But the, re- the reality is that you have a recidivism rate in Australia for men in particular that's about 80%. So we're seeing that 80% of male criminals are reoffending right after they get out of prison most of the time. So what message are we actually sending to them and to the general population? It's that we don't really care about your safety. And the, and the moral position, I hear this a lot, people saying, well, you know, in, in this many situations, the, <clears throat> the offender got hold of the self-defense weapon that the victim had. And I said, so what's the ultimate position then? To get them to have nothing? I would rather have a chance and have that item potentially used against me than have no chance at all. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's how I feel about mason pepper spray. You know, I'm a reasonably inhuman, and, uh, you know, in the event that someone came at me, I don't really think I would do particularly well 
in that situation defending myself with, you know, my fists or whatever. I mean, you do your best and you try your absolute hardest to get out of the situation. But, you know, why is it that I can't carry something that hopefully would be able to assist me in the event that something did happen? Mm, they just think people are going to run around and get pepper spray and it's, it's all fun and games and everyone starts, you know, spraying each other with pepper spray. It's just like, how hard is it? You make a law to be able to carry it. If you use it untoward against someone, there'll be severe ramifications. It's just, it's just that simple. Yeah. You know, but no, anyway, exactly. are you going to join uh, us uh, crazy gun owners one day and join the dark side of gun ownership, or what's the story? Yeah, no, I've been, uh, been looking into it for, for a while, but I just, it's just never um, sort of made it to fruition. But no, I have all the paperwork uh, filled out on my computer. I just need to send it through to the relevant people. Uh, but man, getting, getting your license is such an involved process as well. So <laughs> it's really time-consuming. Yeah. I agree. It's easier, and I hear this from all the time from friends, it's easy. They go, oh, it's just easier to get a gun off the street than it is to actually for law-abiding people to get a firearms license. And to me, that's already a broken system that if it's easier to get a firearm off the street or off an illegal firearm than it is for someone to actually go through the process, do the right things, have a license. And, and like I said, the police are always just waiting uh, for issues for someone to stuff up with a minor issue, like you know, someone comes for a safe inspection, and heaven forbid, there's a you've dropped out of your, your gun bag a, a 22 round, and instead of saying, "Mate, just pick it up, put it in the gun safe, no dramas," well, we're going to seize all these firearms. Thank you. Give us your gun license. You'll be in court for for what? A shotgun round sitting on the floor of your garage? I mean, really? And these things are happening. Yeah. Well, I think that the way that a lot of these. <laughs> Particularly in, you know, you have to keep your ammunition separate to your firearm and the firearm has to be locked in the safe and the safe has to be, you know, in this particular area, blah, blah. It's, um, it's definitely, like you said, it's, it's much more effort and work to actually have a firearm legally than illegally. And that is so problematic when you really consider that. But then what's the alternative? And I don't have an answer to that. I couldn't, I couldn't say what would work better or what would work worse. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, legislation and laws in this country that are just... You just really got a question. You just got a question. What is the purpose of this? I agree. All right, last one, I guess, to finish off. We've had a good conversation. It's been fantastic. What's next for Sydney Watson? Is she, is she striving for the top, you know, what's, with her videos? What, what's her plan for the future, or are you just going to ride the wave for a while? Um, I think at this point I keep saying all I want to do is just finish my degree. Uh, so I have four weeks left of that, and then I am home free. Um, and then after that, honestly, it's more of a case of just continuing on with what I'm doing because I feel like there are so many people in this country that, you know, that can't speak up for whatever reason because of work or because of their family situation or because they're just too scared to. And I'm happy to be a representative for them. I'm really happy to be someone who they can, you know, chuck ideas to. Like I get messages all the time, Sydney, can you cover this? Sydney, can you do that? And it's fine. I'm happy to do it. So I think that's where I'm going to stay for the time being. And if I end up getting into actual, you know, the, Daddy Murdoch, as I uh, like to call him, kind of thing, where you know I go and work for a publication, or you know, you know, find my way onto um, television or something like that. That would be incredible, but I don't have any designs on it. I'm just happy doing what I'm doing. Yep, Sydney Watson is she a Trump fan? Yes or no? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I, uh, I'm a bit of a Trump supporter. Gotta love Trump. <laughs> I was going to say, it might give it away when I actually put, the, which I already did anyway on one of my pages, which I think you saw yesterday, but I think people will see the Make America Great Again Trump shirt she's got, so I think that's probably be a give it away, and you probably already know that, but I should have asked that probably earlier in the show, but that's, what do you do? Yeah, no, I, I 
yeah, well, um, you know, people, I guess, will find it out anyway if they go and look at my page or anything like that because I, uh, I do love posting Trump memes. <laughs> he's yeah. he's and, so good quality when it comes to this sort of stuff. And they're having and good, good results in North Korea and South Korea, hey, but people are still saying, well, it's not Trump, he didn't do anything. And I was like, the dude, South can't Korean, you? I know. The South Korean leader actively was like, we wouldn't have got to this point without Donald Trump. Are you kidding me? People are just They'll just find anything, won't they, to say, hey, listen, you, this guy's just no good. Like, give the guy a chance. Like, the, the Russian stuff. Like, listen, get over it. Mueller's not going to bring anything out. He's a loser. He's not going to do anything. The, oh, it's been two dropped, years, you know? Yeah, no, they've already dropped information that basically said, you know, they exonerated him. They said Trump didn't do anything. There was no collusion. Um, <laughs> it's just because the left, I mean, this is like a whole nother area, but the left is just so intense on hailing Obama, hailing Clinton, looking to all of these external people that have actually done seriously disgusting things to America and abroad, um, and they just want to keep looking at them being like, these are the things they need to emulate. And then Trump, for some reason, just because he's a businessman, he's a straight shooter, he says what he thinks, he doesn't care about uh, you know, offending people, and they go, oh, he's a misogynist, he's this, he's that. It's just, it's just ugh. it makes me so frustrated, particularly when I'm dealing with uh, people in Australia who've only accessed the mainstream media account of what Trump is like. And I just think, do your own research, for goodness sake. I have people at my work sometimes, like, I go, yeah, I love Trump. And they go, oh, you, like, they think it's a joke. And I say, no, nah, no, nah, I really do. I really do. I'm not happy with some of these things on, you know, some of the gun-related stuff so much a little bit recently. But uh, And sometimes it's interesting because I get a lot of people talking to me saying, you know, under like a Trump administration, it's not so good for shooters. I'm like, what do you mean? They go, because there's really, or not to say there's no fear, because there has been some slight changes over the last, say, couple of months since the uh, Las Vegas shooting last year. But they often say, listen, you know, there's, he's doing certain things against shooters and there's no money in, in a pro-government president. I was like, well, that's weird, isn't it? That's interesting. What do you mean by that? But when Obama's saying he's going to ban lots of guns, what do people do? They go out and buy lots of guns. I mean, Obama was probably the biggest gun salesman in U.S. history. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Yeah, and, and there's no money under a you know pro-gun president because there's no fear. There's no fear. I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, I would respectfully disagree if anybody sort of articulated that to me. And the only reason is that you have such a vehement aggression towards guns in the United States from the left and from these anti-gun people, and particularly towards the NRA. Uh, so I don't necessarily think that Trump has anything to do with that, uh, because these people, these other people, these lefties and so on and so forth, they are the ones that are stirring up the aggression and the fear towards it. And the net effect is that people will sign up to the NRA, people will go and buy more guns, people will you know, go and do all these things that are gun-related. So I think that that's you know, he's not as important as everybody makes it out to be when it comes to the gun debate, in my opinion, my humble opinion. One, <laughs> one last question. I thought it was interesting speaking about that, and I did, was going to mention it earlier, about the NRA. They cop a lot of flack, you know. I'm a member of the NRA, and I just, you know, just for my own reasons for the magazine, find out what's happening in other countries. But they get a lot of flack saying, you know, these people are, are responsible for gun deaths. I mean, how is the NRA responsible for gun deaths? They advocate in the interests they're an interest group. They're a lobby group. They advocate for the interests of their members, which are some 6 million Americans. How is the NRA responsible for some nut job committing a crime? I, I just don't understand that. And what's your thoughts on them in general? I just don't know. I'm the same. I really don't understand how people can attach that idea to the NRA, just considering that, you know, do you really go and blame lobby groups that lobby for, I don't know, the sugar tax uh, with people, I don't know, getting fat or whatever. Like, I don't know. It's just it's such an odd thing. 
um, in my opinion. But also, too, people always need someone to blame. And the NRA, because they are advocates for guns and they are advocates for rifles and so on and so forth, it means that people are going to look to them and say, these are the people to blame because we don't have anybody else to blame for what's happening. Um, as for what I think of the NRA, I don't know, they're, they're, not, they're just another group um, that are representing gun owners, I suppose. I don't have any sort of outward feelings towards them. It, they're just, it is what it is. Um, I have a lot of respect for Dana Loesch. I think she's an incredible, incredible woman. Um, and I think that a lot of the criticism that falls on her is because, and dare I say this, and I would, I would never say this under ordinary circumstances, it is because she's a strong woman. I think that particularly women on the left get really, really affronted by that, and they want to pull her down. Uh, and I hate putting things down to the gender card because it's not, not how I see the world, but definitely because she is a strong, awesome female, people just really want to you know, cut her down to size. So. Um, no apparent feelings towards the NRA, I've got to be honest. All right, no worries. All right, Sydney Watson joins me here on AHP to talk about all different types of things. The high-flying media personality on Facebook. So thanks for your time, Sydney. I really appreciate it, and I'm glad you're able to speak to me today. Thanks a lot. No, thank you for having me on. Be awesome. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.